let's talk about uh, BC lands. Uh, of course, uh, you've been hearing a lot uh, in the news recently about the uh, Ministry of Waterlands and Resource Stewardship. Nathan Cullen is the minister there. Uh, they are taking, uh, they're consulting presently with uh, industry stakeholders in regards to the Land Act, and they are receiving submissions um, uh, on proposed amendments to the Land Act until March of March 31st. Uh, at its core, uh, many people have been wondering and asking, will changes to the Land Act mean First Nations will have veto power over potential projects and how that land uh, is used? The minister says it does not. It's about modernizing uh, the Land Act. Joining me now to talk a little bit about this conversation is Nathan Cullen, BC's Minister of Water, Land and Resource Stewardship. Minister, thank you for joining us today. Of course, Ed. Thanks for having me. This is a very important conversation. Walk me through what you believe you've been trying to do and uh, and what other folks have said is, is essentially handing over veto power to First Nations communities. Right. So even even in the asking of that question, Jazz, I hear I hear how it, it gone early. We have uh, we passed the Declaration Act, what's called the Declaration Act, a bunch of years ago in the legislature unanimously. It was very good. And in it, it's, uh, there's two parts that say the province, if it's aligned uh, with First Nations on a particular project or an issue, can enter into an agreement, right? Mm-hmm. And in, by doing that, would increase certainty and stability, predictability for investment, and all sorts of positive things for everybody. We have two of these so far. Both are in the northwest of BC and Taltan territory. Both are connected to mining projects, two different mining projects. They're called Section 6 and 7 agreements. Very positive. Uh, BC saw alignment with what Taltan wanted to do. The companies were very interested. And then we walked through the process together, BC and the First Nation, looking at environmental assessments, et cetera. What we're proposing in the Land Act is, is simply that, to put into law to change the Land Act, which is a very old piece of legislation. It was written in the 1850s, to change it to say, Governments are allowed to enter these agreements with lots of public consultation, etc. If our interests are aligned and we can actually land a deal to bring greater certainty. What it doesn't do is change the 95 million hectares that we call crown land, public lands, and any of the permits that exist on those lands right now, hunting, fishing, backcountry, etc. What do you mean when you say you're in alignment? Uh, one would argue any project you'd be in alignment with if, if it brings, you know, if, if, it, if it provides a potential economic upliftment for a region, uh, as long as it, uh, you know, protects the land, air, water, soil, meets the environmental and vigorous environmental laws that we have. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and why do you need this? If you, if, you, if, if you already have alignment anyway, why does this, this need to be codified into language, into law? No, I mean, there's, the, the government's going to, every government's going to get pitched on proposals. Some of them, like you say, uh, look like they'd be really good. You go through the whole environmental assessment, good jobs, etc. There's other projects where you sit back and say, is this to the benefit of the province? Or can they not contain the environmental impact? Is it going to ruin our salmon population? So you're always, every project that comes forward, you, you've got to weigh them out individually. And as a, as a province, we got to make the determination at the end of the public benefit. Where we've had trouble and lost a lot of court cases is that when First Nations challenge us and say, there's some constitutional obligations you have with us, you didn't engage with us properly, et cetera, et cetera. Lawyers fight it out. We all spend millions of dollars. We lose. Uncertainty goes up. Investment goes away. And so we learned through the Declaration Act 
First Nations are extending a hand and saying there's lots of places where we have that mutual benefit. If we could come to agreement, just as the project's being proposed, there's a mine in McLeod Lake, First Nations, they've already come to an agreement together uh, to start the process together. The chances for this project getting off the ground are way, way higher and all the jobs that come with it. So it's, it's, a, it's exactly what industry has been looking for. It's a lot what First Nations have been looking for. And I would say that the general public is well served when we're able to lift a project up, do it together, walk the path together, and not end up in court, not up in all the conflicts that we've seen in BC over the years. So if, if a proponent were to come and bring to you a, a natural resource project, whether it be forestry, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will look at it and certainly lots of consultation required with First Nations and non-First Nations communities, but it meets the general standards, still more com- consultation to do. Um, you go through an environmental process. Let's say they were able to meet all those requirements, but First Nations at the end of the day mm-hmm. had some mm-hmm. concerns would yeah. you then still move ahead with that project, even though it meets your environmental standards of the land? Uh, it is supported by non-First Nations communities. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how would that project move forward if, 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 if let's just say, electric body, in this case, First Nations community, yeah. does oppose it? Does that mean yeah. that project doesn't have any chance of moving forward? No. BC would retain the authorities that we have under the Land Act, under the Environmental Assessment Act, if we approve a project. What I would say, though... I'm I'm getting, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the mining industry, just for an example. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the last time a project came to us as a government that did not have, at the beginning of it, the proponent saying, here is our current agreement with local First Nations. Like, this is our relationship right now. Versus 20, 25 years ago, Jazz, where I would start in this business, Mm -hmm. I would see projects come forward and I'd say, hey, local jobs, the environment, First Nations, how we doing? And they'd say, "It, it doesn't matter. We don't need a relationship with the local community. That's not important. All we need is to lobby government and go through the process to get our project off the ground. I think the natural evolution of a better industrial strategy is to say when it benefits everybody, it truly benefits everybody. When there's a relationship and we can come to an agreement, even before the project's been fully proposed, now we're talking all the time. We're not duplicating things. A lot of projects right now have to do one environmental assessment with us then another one with First Nations doing the same studies. It takes way longer. You know the permitting challenges we have. Mm-hmm. We're already seeing in the agreements that we've signed faster permits, way more durable agreements. And the investment community, frankly, loves it because they're looking at it and saying, we're not likely to see this project end up in court and delays. We're not likely to see conflict on this project in the evening news just when they're cutting the ribbon and a bunch of people are going to work in a good way. That's... That's the vision for this. We, what we got to be careful of, I would argue, is the, the fear-mongering and the stuff of saying 5% have control and veto over 95% of the population. That's frankly wrong. It's dangerous and damaging, and we can do better. And, and people saying it, who you know and I know, should know better because it doesn't work for them other than trying to pander to one particular group. Now, uh, Vancouver-based law firm Macmillan LLP does a lot of work in the resource sector. In their own commentary mm-hmm. on their website, Mm-hmm. It did say, make no mistake, the subject matter of the consultation is unprecedented and of profound importance to any company that requires authorization to use Crown land in BC. These include things like grazing leases, mining leases, licenses mm-hmm. of occupation, dock permits, rights of way, and so on. Yeah. Uh, these are not, you know, this law firm, one would argue, is not one of those people that is trying to politicize this, but this mm-hmm. is the kind of advice they're going to give to their clients. Uh. If you were to sit with them, what, what would you say to them uh, besides 
hey, you're wrong. Your assessment is wrong. Here's why. Well, I would start there. I'd say your assessment is wrong. You're giving bad advice to your clients, but that's your business. You can do what you wish. I have a whole suite of lawyers <laughs> and law firms <laughs> that provide exactly the opposite advice. And I haven't heard, to be fair, Jeff, I haven't heard a whole chorus of industry and serious uh, commentators on what is being proposed mm-hmm. echo any of those sentiments. I've heard it from one voice, and that's fine. They can have that one person making one voice. What I would suggest is that this does not affect grazing leases because it doesn't. <laughs> this does not affect backcountry leases because it doesn't. The, the suggestion otherwise is just wrong. So where I will take full ownership and responsibility is the way that this got started. We did our normal, we've amended the Forestry Act, the Emergencies Act, the Child and Family, to do exactly this. But when we did those before, we put out for comment, we talked to stakeholders, and we moved through hearing those comments. What I, the mistake I made is that when we did this, because it's the Lands Act, it's so much the foundation of some big questions around reconciliation in our province that we needed to do more. So that's what we're doing now. We've reset the consultation. I've spoken to hundreds of organizations, thousands of individuals. We're doing it, all comers. Anyone wants to come talk to us? We're happy to walk them through what the proposal actually does and doesn't do. And I'm not going to speak for any of them, Jess, but mm-hmm. many of them are saying, well, if this is all it does, then let's get on with it. And can we see it in writing? And it's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> we'll put it in writing. We'll show it to you. We'll do everything we can to be very clear on what this is. But again, there are, there are those that just wish reconciliation wasn't a thing, yeah. that the Constitution rights that are there weren't there. But they are. So let's just walk together. Let's figure out how we can work together to make BC a better place. So I want to ask you this question again. So this piece of legislation this uh-huh. the, does not give First Nations veto power, as you no. say, a small portion of the population, 5%. This does, in your mind, does not give First Nations veto power over projects. Happily, not just in my mind, but in law and according to the First Nations Leadership Council, which represents the vast majority of First Nations in BC, have said in a public letter this proposal does not give First Nations veto power. So if you don't believe me, believe the First Nations, believe lawyers that work on this, and believe the industry that phoned me. I just sat with another group this afternoon on a Zoom call saying, how do we get one of these agreements for our project? And I'm saying, well, tell the people keep dog whistling to stop it so that we can actually have a good conversation about the merits of this. And then we can talk about landing a Section 7 agreement with you guys because they're all looking at the Northwest. They're looking at the two projects that have gotten off the ground in terms of their assessment. Companies happy, First Nations happy, local communities happy. Is this not what we want, right? Is this not the dream? Let's stop with the other nonsense and the fear-mongering. We can do better. Let's work together. And that's exactly what these amendments allow us to do. Mr. Thank you for your time. But unfortunately, uh, I can guarantee you the dog whistling won't stop. It is an election year. That's for sure. <laughs> it is an election year. I did read that somewhere in the paper. <laughs> Appreciate it. It'll Jeff. get a little louder. Thanks so much, Minister. Uh, right on.